Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Just spent the last half hour trying to figure out what was wrong with my microphone because when I went to record it, my voice sounded distant and tinny. Well, I just realized that I had my camera plugged into my computer. I, I use a desktop and I have the camera that also records sound hooked up and apparently it was recording sound from that. So I'm literally sitting here going nuts. Like, how am I going to do the podcast when it sounds like I'm, it sounds like one of those tin can phones I used to use as a kid, probably dating myself there a little bit. But anyway, figured it out. Thank gosh, because I was going into panic mode here. So to kick this one off, obviously last week we covered, uh, I gave some thoughts on why I don't bring my tarantulas to the vet. And I was contacted by Andy Anderson, who's a veterinarian, who had some fantastic insight on this and was obviously able to fill in some of the blanks and things that I don't know about. So my thing is, if I put something out there, and again, I tried to say this wasn't bashing vets. It was not meant to bash vets, but it was more kind of, it was twofold. Number one, to explain why I don't bring my tarantulas to my local vet, the one that I, I currently use, or anybody around here. We don't really have anybody that deals with this kind of stuff. But also to kind of hopefully fish for some information from folks. My goal was hopefully that somebody would chime in, preferably a veterinarian, and kind of give us some information on it. So Andy has gotten in touch with me. We're going to try to get him on the show, and he'll be the first interview. And again, just to explain, I know I've said for a while now I wanted to do interviews, but if you guys could see the process for trying to record these with the dogs and the sounds in the background, it's very difficult to get a time where it's really quiet, where I can pull this off. And the sounds in the background and stuff sometimes can be very quiet. Sometimes, you know, there's situations like where my dogs get up and I'll start barking in the middle of a podcast and it takes me 10 minutes to settle them down. And I never wanted a situation where I get somebody on here, we're in the middle of a discussion and I have to go, oh, hold on, my dogs are barking, let's replay that and redo it. So now that we're looking at getting the new house, the idea is that I'm going to have a very peaceful and quiet place to do the podcast, which would be great because I won't have so many interruptions, and I can get some people on and not have to worry about apologizing because I have to stop every 10 minutes because something's going on in the background. So really looking forward to this. So I'll be, Andy and I will be hooking up. I'll be letting them know a good date and time. It'll probably be, we're looking probably October or so. The the move is probably going to happen three weeks into September. So, and then after that, you know, figure, give it a little time to get situated. And then it'll be time to finally start getting some people on here. So I know people have asked before, are you ever going to interview? That was always the intention, but the reality of trying to interview people when it's so unpredictable here just doesn't work. So that'll be something to look forward to. He, I was going to read his email, but I think I'm going to use the email as a springboard to come up with some questions for him. So we can talk about, you know, tarantulas and veterinary medicine some of the things that they're doing now and he can explain the stuff way better than I can and hopefully it'll uh, help people out with a better understanding of what happens when you bring your tarantula to the vet and what to look forward in the future as far as the evolution of tarantula or arachnid medicine because it is something that apparently there are a lot of people that are recognizing a need for and that's something that we can hopefully in the future, I would love to see a day where something's not right with one of my animals instead of doing my checklist and the guesswork trying to figure out what's wrong, being able to bring it to a trained professional and figure out why my animal is sick. So that'll be something to look forward to uh, in the future. And Andy, if you're listening, thanks so much for the offer and we're definitely taking you up on it. So this one's going to be about burrowing species or fossorial tarantulas or tarantulas digging. And I figure I, I've covered this before in different topics and here and there, but it's probably I'm putting a list together of the most asked questions I get just for fun. I've mentioned this before. And one of them, it's got to be top one or two at least, is what do I do? My tarantula's bur- buried itself or my tarantula just buried itself. Is this okay? Or my tarantula buried itself. Should I dig it up? 
it causes burrowing tarantulas, especially for folks who have just gotten into hobby, cause more stress than probably anything else to do with the hobby. That would be just from the hundreds of comments and emails I've received over the years about burrowing tarantulas. It's obviously something that really weighs on people. And I can tell you from my own experiences, it was something that bothered me when I first got into it. Now, I had done, a, I had been researching a long time before I pulled the trigger and bought my first tarantula. Like, I took this very seriously and was doing a lot of research. I like to find out not just, like, basic husbandry. I like to find out anything that could go wrong and what people can do to fix it or to alleviate the issue. I would go on. I wouldn't just read care sheets. I learned very early on you don't want to look at care sheets, but I'd read a lot of forum posts. I was on arachnoboards combing through the different discussions and making notes. So, okay, like, I remember right off the bat, one of the things that came up was somebody's like, yeah, my tarantula buried itself. What do I do? Do I dig it up? And then I read all the comments. No, don't dig it up. You never dig them up. You never dig them up. And I made notes of that so that when it happened to me, I could go back and go, all right, I've read about this. I know that this can be an issue. So I remember the first one that did it was an LP sling. It buried itself. It was buried for several weeks, which is now I realize I wouldn't even bat an eyelash at this now, but again, it's buried, it's molten. But I remember sitting there like, do I dig it up? What do I do? How's it going to get water? It's not coming up and drinking the water. What am I going to do with it? Freaking out, even though I had already done the research. So I went back and to make myself feel better, I hopped online, again, found those old threads, read through them and convinced myself there's nothing to worry about. And sure enough, it popped out through its little, you know, its old molt out and was ready to eat again. And so started to recognize that this is a very normal occurrence because when tarantula is buried, now obviously there are fossorial species, that bury themselves because that's how they live in nature. They they dig dens, they stay in the dens, it protects them usually from, you know, obviously predation, but also from the elements. We talked many times in the past about when we talk about the fact that some of these places get to be 100 degrees, which is like, wow, they, they really like it warm. Well, no, a lot of these species will bury themselves or dig far enough down into the ground that they actually, it may be 100 degrees and very dry outside, but it's moist and maybe in the 60s or 70s in that burrow. And that's something we sometimes fail to take into account. But with fossorial species, obviously they need, they require that deep substrate and we want them to be able to feel comfortable because if you take a fossorial species and you don't give it enough substrate, then you're going to have a spider that's most likely, especially if it's an old world, is going to do some webbing on the surface. It's going to be in more close contact with the keeper and you're going to have more instances or more potential for a defensive spider. Now, there are other species that will burrow to a certain point. So for example, my Formictopus species, a lot of them will do some burrowing until they hit like the four inch mark. A lot of spiders, a lot of spiders start off when they're slings. The majority of the ones I've kept start off by doing some burrowing. Even some of the Arboreal species, which really throws people off. I have my Oviolospes, for example, that is still kind of burrowed, and she's pushing about six inches now, and everybody's like, oh, these are arboreal species. They're supposed to be set up like arboreals, and it's like... Well, when they start off as slings, they are not necessarily arboreal. Many of them will burrow. My uh, Salmopias have burrowed. My Pisolotheria have burrowed. Again, my Oviolosopes. A lot of these guys start off burrowing. So at some point, if you're keeping slings and getting into the tarantula hobby, you're going to be dealing with spiders that burrow, which in and of itself is not a big deal, except for the fact that we're not used to animals disappearing for huge lengths of time, going under the ground and staring at basically a pot of dirt while we wait for them to reemerge. That can be very stressful. That obviously stresses a lot of people out, hence why we're covering the topic. So let's start by talking about pre-molt because a lot of times what happens is somebody picks up a new spider for a little while. It's running around on the surface. It's doing spidery things. It's eating. 
And then suddenly it burrows itself after a couple weeks or whatnot. And then I usually get the emails going, hey, Tom, I just bought this spider. It was doing fine. Suddenly it's burrowed itself, burrowed and it's disappeared. I don't know what to do. Is this normal? So here's the deal. There's a couple things going on here. Number one, if you have a species that is a sling or a juvenile and it's still in its burrowing stage, what some, sometimes you will see is when you put it into the new enclosure, it takes them a while to settle in. So what you may get is several weeks of the spider acting terrestrially while it goes around the surface, hunt maybe picks a corner to web up in or hide in maybe it hides under something else but rather than the cork bark hide you provided for but you get a situation where the spider has not settled in yet now you're seeing it as being settled in hey i put it in the enclosure it seems to be comfortable it's eating but a lot of times what will happen is a few weeks down the road, they really settle in, they adapt to a spot or find a spot that they want to put their burrow in, and then they start burrowing. And in some instances, they are not in pre-molt yet. I'm thinking of one instance, I had my T. albopelosis female. When I first got her, she was still about three inches, maybe three inches or so. And I gave her enough substrate to dig in. For a little while, she just sat on top and ate. And then one day I came in and she had burrowed down to the bottom. Now, in her instance, she was not in pre-molt yet. She had just settled in enough to finally start constructing her own home. She was kind of like decorating. It's kind of like moving into a new house, and the first thing you do is start repainting and doing stuff. Like, she's making the place her own. And in this instance, what I noticed, and one thing you want to look for to try to determine whether it's pre-molt or whether they're just doing some natural burrowing and kind of creating their own little space, is look for whether or not the entrance to the burrow is covered over. The majority of the ones that will that are in there for pre-molt, that are in there for the long run while they molt and, and, and harden up, will put webbing and dirt and sphagnum moss, whatever, and cover up, completely cover up the entrance of the burrow. A lot of times spiders will burrow and they will leave that entrance open. That usually means they're open for business. It means they're hiding. They've chosen this place to hide. This is their home. However, they're still hunting. And that's one little clue you can look for when you have a spider that's burrowed to see whether or not it's in pre-molt or not. Because I've had people go, well, my spider just burrowed. And my first question I ask is, is the entrance to the burrow closed up at all? No, it's not. Try dropping something in. It's probably still hungry. Now, I will say some of my old world species will web a little bit over the entrance of their burrow so what will happen is they'll dig their burrow they're still eating they're not in pre-mold but they will put a thin coat you'll see it's just a very thin coat of webbing over the entrance of the burrow and it's usually not enough that's really going to hold anything out I've seen crickets kind of dig their way right through it but I got a funny feeling that that's their way of like in the wild if it was raining that it keeps water out it keeps items from getting down into the burrow that they don't want in there while they're you know down resting or whatever but a lot of times they will put if you see a really thin layer of web over it they could still be eating I have for example my Kilobrachis fimbriatus has right now two entrances to her burrow and both of them have a thin coat of webbing on it. Well, the other day I went in there and just the test kind of took the paintbrush and tapped the webbing in front of one of them, one of the entrances, and she immediately charged out looking for food. So that's something to pay attention to. Now, if you're if there's a question, if you're looking at it, you're like, you know what, I don't, because this is something you kind of learn after keeping it for a while. You start to recognize little things that go, all right, this one's in pre-mill. All right, this one's probably not in pre-mill yet. But one of the things you can do to try, do not shove live prey down the burrow. I want to make that very, very clear. Somebody, or I, I did a video a while back with the P. muticus where I took live prey and I dropped it in with the P. muticus and it immediately ate. And I had some people that got the wrong message for that because what I was trying to show is that this was one that had buried down to the bottom, had become very skinny, hadn't been eating. 
And I wanted to show that, look, I pretty good idea it was starving and I dropped something down and ate it. But other people thought, oh, this is what you do. And I didn't make it clear that that's not normally how I would have done it. So don't drop live prey in there. I have people sometimes that will email, like, I think I did something really bad. I opened up the burrow and I shoved something down and I don't know if it ate it. Yeah, that's a no-no because they can, a, a cricket, a mealworm, a superworm can potentially chew on and attack a molting tarantula. They're not going to get it if it's not molting, but when they molt, they're soft, they're defenseless, they're covered in liquid. And crickets particularly find that enticing. They're looking for moisture, so that could be an issue. So don't drop live prey in. If there's a question, you can take the back of a brush, what I've done before, if I'm you know, not sure if they're eating and I want to kind of test it out, is kind of open up that hole a little bit, pre-kill an item, and lay it right there and leave it overnight. Now, what will happen is if that if they don't want to be disturbed and they're not eating, they will come up, they won't touch the cricket, they'll go and reseal that hole back up and go back down their burrow. So if you come back the next morning, the cricket's still there, it means they're not eating, they're probably in primo. Now, in some instances, they will come up to fix the hole or they'll come up to hunt, they'll find the cricket, they'll eat the cricket, and then you know they're still eating. Just a little way to test it. But I would not drop stuff down the hole under most circumstances, live or dead, quite frankly. You drop something dead down there, and I've actually had this happen before where I went to put something on the lip of a burrow and it dropped into the burrow. And a couple of days later, I, I thought it had eaten. I peered down to the burrow and there's the cricket rotting in the burrow. That's not a good idea. That's not a good thing. That's not something you want. That's going to breed bacteria and potentially maggots and little gnats and flies and stuff that you don't want around your spider, especially considering if it's not eating, it's probably going to be molting soon. So always make sure you put them in a spot. Know that if the spider's eating, even if they've got that little flimsy web you know shield over the entrance of their burrow they come out at night they go right through that and they go and hunt so know that your spider will be coming up to hunt later on it won't be an issue it'll come out it'll find the prey item so now back to our scenario where we've picked up a spider we put it in it's suddenly burrowed we figured out that it's not eating. What are some signs that it's in pre-mold? And one of the questions I usually ask people right off the bat was, you know, because a lot of times it's people that have just picked up a spider, so they haven't. It's a little easier when you've kept the spider for a while to mark down when it molts. You know, you have a calendar, you go molt in this date, and you start to see patterns and recognize when about it's going to go into pre-mold. And you can recognize, you know, if you, especially if you keep a consistent feeding schedule, a lot of times when they're slings, they molt like I had a GBB that would molt like every three months on the dot. It was amazing how closely it was. So you get an idea about when they're going to molt. But sometimes when you buy something new, you're not sure if it was eating beforehand. You're not sure if it came to you in pre-molt. There's a lot of questions. So questions I usually ask people when they shoot me, hey, is this one in pre-molt? First thing, was it eating beforehand? When you got it in, when you got it home and you put it in its enclosure, has it eaten for you? Has it eaten a few times? Chances are, if it's eaten a few times and then suddenly burrowed and covered up the, the entrance of the burrow, then that's probably a pre-molt situation. What shape was the spider in? I always encourage people to take photos of their spiders when they first get them. A lot of people will get a brand new spider and they throw it in the enclosure, it burrows, and then I will ask them, hey, was it chubby when you got it? And they're like, I don't know. I think so. Take a picture of it before you put it in. I think a lot of people do this anyway because you're excited about getting the new spider. But when you get a new spider, take a picture of it so you have a shot that you can go back to and go, you know what? It really was chubby. I had somebody recently that had, I believe it was a Fonapelma calcotas, and it, it, it would wandered around a little bit in the surface, buried itself, 
And then it didn't eat it all since this woman had it. And I said, do you have a picture of it? She goes, actually, I did snap a picture before I put in. Well, this thing was fat. This thing was obviously well-fed beforehand and was likely in pre-mold. So I was able to set her mind at ease. So, you know, little tip, when you get something new, try to get a picture of it before they bury themselves or hide themselves beneath their cork bark hides or whatever it may be so that you can go back and reference it. Because that's usually the second question I ask. Was it chubby? Was it eating beforehand? Now, a lot of people don't realize that if you feed them often or feed them really big meals, what you end up with is a spider that fattens up quickly and goes into a much longer pre-molt period. And I had somebody recently contact me and go, yeah, I don't, I think there's something wrong with my spider. It ate once and then it immediately dug a burrow and it's hiding and I think it's probably still hungry. I don't know what to do. So I asked, what size is the spider? And it was about a half inch or so. I said, well, what did you feed it for its last meal? I felt a large mealworm that I pre-killed. So right there, there's probably the issue. A large mealworm with a sling that size, the sling is going to feed on it until it's completely full and likely not eat again for a while. That's going to be it. It's going to go into pre-mold. That can happen. A lot of people aren't aware of that. So we'll get situations where they feed a tiny sling a huge pre-killed meal, which is totally fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying you're going to have that long pre-mold. The other thing we get is somebody gets a tarantula in. We had somebody that was that emailed that, I forget which species it was, but one of the brachypelmas, and they were feeding it daily. Daily, and they fed it daily for almost a week and then it suddenly stopped eating and they're like I don't understand it stopped it was eating great it stopped eating and now it's buried itself I don't know what to do and again this was a situation where it had eaten enough that it had filled up quickly and gone into primal and unfortunately in those situations this tends to really freak those out that are new to the hobby because you end up with very long premolts and that's what tends to really weird people out is when you get a spider this little fragile looking spider, you drop it in its little tub of dirt, it digs and you don't see it for three or four months. And that can really, I get it. It stresses people out. They're thinking something's wrong with it. They're thinking it's dead. Do I dig it up? What do I do? And that can be a huge cause of stress. So just know that if you do have a super aggressive feeding schedule where you're feeding your spider daily or you're feeding your spider huge meals, be aware that this can trigger an earlier pre-molt than the spider would normally have if it was getting fed once a week or once every other week or even twice a week. And you can have a situation where the premolt lasts a very long time, which again can lead to anxiety and stress. So just a heads up, there are things you can do to control some of these situations to a point, and that's something to think about. Now, often when the spiders bury themselves, I will have people freaking out like, what do I do? I got the water dish up here, but it's not coming up to get water. Should I open up the hole and dribble water in? Well, no, you never want to, again, under most circumstances, you don't want to open up that burrow. That's their do not disturb sign. They don't want to be disturbed. They're in pre-molt. They just want to be left alone. And if they need water, they can come up and surface. But keep in mind that if you're keeping a tarantula correctly, especially if we're talking, let's just talk about slings for a moment. The majority of slings out there, the vast majority, need some moisture, need moist substrate. They burrow in the wild. They find that moist substrate. It keeps them safe. It keeps them from dehydrating. They can drink out of the soil if they have to. A lot of times what they will do in pre-molt, you won't necessarily see it, but I've seen tarantulas that are going into pre-molt getting drinks before they go and bury themselves because they can hold on to that moisture quite well. Do not open the burrow and try to dribble water in. I had somebody that took a pipette. They opened up the burrow. They took a pipette and they squirted a bunch of water down the burrow. That's not a good thing to do. You can leave the water. I always tell people, keep the water just full just in case. Because what could happen, chances are when they burrow themselves, I've... 
I don't see them often. I, I don't think I've ever seen one that's buried itself in pre-mall, come out, open its burrow, get a drink, go back in, seal it again. Usually they do the drinking beforehand, then they go down to go into pre-mall. However, what you want is when the spider is done molting and comes out, a lot of them will get a drink after they've hardened up. Obviously, they can lose some fluids through the molting process, and you want to make sure that that water is readily available for them. So what I usually tell people to do in terms of the water, just make sure you keep the part of the substrate moist. Find out where you think the spider is. Moisten the opposite corner. Don't pour a bunch of water down into the burrow. That's very easy to do. Trust me. Just did it the other day by accident. Was pouring some water in an enclosure and basically poured a little too much in. The next thing I know it, I see the poor spider down there up on its like stilt legs because the whole burrow was flooded. You don't want to do that, especially if you're not sure if it's molting or not. But keep the substrate, you know, part of the substrate moist. Keep the water dish full and give them time to come out on their own. A lot of specimens or a lot of species will take their molts and throw them out when they're ready to eat, which is a convenient little sign to let you know that, hey, I'm done with the molt process. I'm ready to roll. Let's get some food in here. Some of them won't. Some of my old worlds will actually work the old molts into the webbing. So for example, my OBT will take her old molts and she won't throw them out. She'll web them into her den, which is kind of cool, but doesn't necessarily tell you that she's done and ready, done molting and ready to eat. And again, of course, if there's any concern that it might not be in pre-mold or might be eating, just drop a pre-killed item in front of where the burrow entrance is. Let it come out and eat if it wants to. If it's there the next day, assume it's not eating and move on. And I just can't drive that point home enough because I don't want people dropping live prey items. You can drop a live prey item on top. Actually, I should make that very clear. If it sealed itself up, you could drop a live prey item on top because if it is eating, they usually, as long as it's not, the substrate isn't too deep, and we'll get into that in a moment. But as long as, as, long as the substrate isn't too deep, they will hear those, uh, detect those vibrations from the top, and they can come out and hunt. But do not put in a live prey item into the burrow. I just, I again can't repeat that enough times because there will be people, there are people out there that try to do that one, and it can be a bit of a nightmare. And I've had a couple instances where people have had to go and rehouse because they can't get the cricket out and they're not sure what happened. Now. This is a part of the the podcast where it gets a little controversial because I've uh, over the years we've been told, and I've done this many many times myself, and in most cases, and I would say ninety nine percent of the cases, it's absolutely correct. Don't dig up a tarantula that has burrowed. It's not what they, they don't need to be dug up. They don't need to be saved. A couple things right off the bat: people think they burrow and they can't breathe. They can breathe fine. I've had hundreds of mine do it. There's not an issue there, so I'm not even going to bother explaining how it all works. But just know that if a tarantula burrows itself, they don't need a lot of oxygen down there. They do just fine. They don't need to open up air holes or anything like that. The other thing is, don't worry about the tarantula not having enough room to molt. They need a very tiny amount of room to molt successfully. So I have a lot of people that will freak out because their tarantula will burrow. It'll go down into the dirt, covers it up, and they go, I don't, I don't see how it's going to be able to molt down there. I'm looking, and it's only got a little tiny burrow, and I don't think it's enough room. Should I open it up? Don't touch it. They know what they're doing. They haven't survived millions of years without recognizing how much space they need to molt, which is something they absolutely need to do in order to grow. So two tips right there. Don't mess with those. However, there is a situation that has arisen a couple times in my, I've had it happen, I think four times over, I jotted down the species I've had it happen with, where the specimens have dug down to the bottom of the substrate, they've molted, and never return to the surface to hunt. And we're talking not like a week or two or whatever. We're talking months have gone by and they haven't come back up to hunt again. And in a couple of these instances, it was fortunate enough that I was fortunate enough that the spiders created their burrows right against the glass or plastic so I could see them, so I could see that they had molted successfully. I could see them harden up. I could see them 
get skinny because they weren't eating and recognize it was a problem. So here's the deal. For years, we have said, do not dig them up, do not dig them up, do not dig them up. In most of the cases, that's true. However, I have found, especially with smaller specimens, slings and juveniles, this isn't normally an issue with a healthy adult, but with slings and juveniles of some of the fossorial species, or even some of the species that aren't fossorial and just burrow as slings, if you give them too much substrate, they can go dig too far down into the substrate, close up their burrows, and not resurface again when they need to eat. So for example, we talked about the P. muticus incident. That was a species that I was having trouble with for a while because everything I had heard about them said, give them as much substrate as you can give them. So I would put these tiny little half inch P. muticus slings or tiny little three quarter inch P. muticus slings into a 32 ounce deli cup with about five inches of substrate. In all instances, they would dig all the way down, straight down to the bottom of that thing, five inches down, clean out the whole bottom area, hang out down there, Eventually, they go into pre-molt, fill it in, and never come back up for food. The same thing later happened when I had two juvenile specimens. I put them in dirt that was about 9 nine to 10 inches deep. They dug all the way down the bottom. I saw that they both molted. It's like, all right, they should be coming up to, to eat pretty soon. Nope, didn't come up. I finally, and that's the video I referred to earlier, is finally came, opened up the burrow, and put prey items in, and they ate ravenously. So this got me thinking, like, what is happening here? And it's happened since with some other species. Now, now I tend to, I'm better at recognizing what's going on. So I can either make the change or open up the burrow and, and provide food. But I had it happen most recently with the Gramostola pulchra. I had it happen with an M. robustum. And most recently with the Formictopus cochleus borax. Now, in the case of the pulchra, I had it in something that gave it about four and a half inches of substrate or so. It was about a one inch sling. It had dug all the way down to the bottom. It molted. And then I waited for it to come back up. And I waited and waited and waited and about three months went by and this thing was looking very, very thin. So what I did was used a brush. I carefully opened up the burrow. Now the trick is you don't want it to collapse into itself. So I was clearing dirt out so I could clear away. I took a spoon, took out some of the dirt, some of the depth of the dirt and opened up an area and took a pre-killed cricket and dropped it in and that thing pounced immediately. And then I dropped another pre-killed cricket in the next day, pounced immediately. So this was a situation where it just wasn't coming back up. Now, now, same thing with the Emerald Bustum. I got one that I thought was going to be a lot larger. And when I opened it up, it was like an inch and a quarter. And I put it in about five inches of substrate. It dug all the way an angle, like an angle, probably about a 30 degree angle from the front of the container, all the way to the back, all the way down to the back corner, filled the whole thing back in. And I didn't see it for months. And I started to worry. And I was keeping the substrate moist. So at least they can get moisture. You know, they can drink down there. But I wasn't, I was worried that it wasn't coming up to eat. So what I did was I took the cork bark out, carefully dug it out. The thing had molted, was obviously well hardened up, and was incredibly skinny. Dropped a large cricket in, immediately pounced on it. So these were two situations where I just basically gave them too much dirt to dig in. And that's something to be aware of when you're setting up the fossorial species or any sling that's going to burrow. Don't go crazy with the substrate. I know there's stuff out there that says, you know, like P. muticus, they dig nine foot burrows in the wild. So give them as much room as you can to dig. Yeah, that's great. Except for the fact that one thing we don't take into account is it's very likely that where they come from, they dig deep burrows, but they also run into prey items, whether it be grubs. I believe there's a type of cricket that digs in the ground over there we after speaking to some people of this we came to the conclusion that they are probably able to find food down in those burrows and they don't have to resurface where the weather is probably re 
ridiculously hot or inhospitable or where they could be predated on by other animals, they can spend some time below the ground without having to surface. And I think in some instances, that's what happens. They get down there. They're expecting something to kind of wander in. In some cases, I think they get down so deep that they don't feel necessarily feel the vibrations of the prey items running across the surface and they don't get to it. Whatever it may be, do not set them up too deep. I like to do like for my, you know, three quarter inch slings now. I give them, if they're in a, and one thing that can be, a, that can make it a lot easier is the dram vials. There's not a lot of room in them because there's not a lot of surface area. So if it's a little bit deeper, they seem to do better in that. But I have had ones that have gone all the way down to the vials and I've kind of had to open up the, the entrance a little bit to make sure they were able to get prey items. But for smaller slings, I try not to go anywhere deeper than two inches or so. Sometimes they go an inch and a half. You want to give them enough that you can keep the substrate moist without it drying out too easily. Because that's one thing. If you do shallow substrate, especially in a tiny little sling enclosure, they tend to dry out much more quickly. And that could be an issue and that could be a danger as well. So you want to make sure that there's enough depth that those bottom layers stay moist for a little while. But not so much depth that they dig all the way down to the bottom. And remember... If you're putting them, for example, and one thing people forget about is if, say, I'm putting them in a three-inch dram vial. Say I put in a two inches of substrate and I put in a little half-inch sling. They'll drag that dirt up and it'll pack on the top so it actually makes the substrate even deeper. So I've had ones that have filled up dram vials with dirt because they've dug all the way down to the bottom, dragged all the dirt up and put it on the surface. So you end up with a deeper container, so a deeper substrate. So keep that in mind when you're setting them up. Now, I don't want people panicking over this. I don't want people going, Tom's saying put everything on shallow substrate. Not what I'm saying at all. Give them enough room to dig, but not so much room that they get lost in the enclosure. That's the important part. So for example, a lot of times we say for fossorial slings, put them in a 32 ounce deli cup. I've been sticking to something around 16 ounces. That gives them, if you've got an inch long sling, a 16 ounce deli cup, about three, three and a half inches tall. You put in two inches of substrate, a little hide. You can even stack it a little heavier on one side. That gives them enough room to create an adequate burrow. It gives enough substrate so that when you add moisture, it stays for a while and doesn't immediately evaporate and dry up. And it gives the spider just enough room to burrow without being too deep. So something to think about there. And I again, I hesitate to bring this up because every time I've mentioned this, I've, I get a rash of people that are like, oh gosh, I have a blah, blah, blah that has just buried itself. And now I'm wondering if I should dig it up. Most cases, I mean, again, I've kept right now, I think I'm up to 130 something different species. I've kept a, a couple hundred spiders at least that I've kept over the years. And I've only, I could only come up with a list of four that I've experienced this with four out of all of those. So it doesn't happen often. I have given, and some people will come forward and go, well, I put my P. muticus in five inches of substrate and did perfectly fine. Again, it's, these are, these animals can be individual. So some will have an issue with it. Some will eventually come back up. It's being able to read the situation, read the spider, look at the details, figure out, is this a problem or is it not a problem? Uh, the last one, again, and the last one I had it happen with was my Formictopus cochleus vorex, which they obviously, these guys burrow like crazy. And I put mine in what I didn't think was a particularly deep container. It was about three inches and the spider was pushing about two, but it molted. It was down there for several weeks. It hadn't gone back up and cleaned up its burrow and opened its burrow again. In fact, it did more digging on the bottom. So it cleared out the whole bottom of its enclosure and just sat there. So finally, I kind of took the back of a paintbrush, opened up one of the corners, put a pre-killed item in there, and it was eating within a minute. So just something to keep an eye on. And again, 
going to go back to this. I'm going to repeat it again. Do not drop live. Do not drop mealworms. Do not drop live superworms. Do not drop live crickets, live roaches. They pose a danger. But always try pre-killed or something that is very, in the least, you can put something down there that's been stunned enough that it's not going, you know. I've, I've had situation where you crush a roach's head, for example. They'll move around a lot. They can't cause any damage, but it will entice the tarantula to hunt. Keep in mind, though, that if it isn't eating and that roach goes in there, climbs further in it, and dies, you're going to have a situation there. So you always want to make sure it's something that if you put a prey item in and it's pre-killed, that you can easily get it back out so you don't have a item decomposing in there with the tarantula. Now, this issue of them burying themselves too deeply seems to be more of an issue with slings and juveniles. I have not been privy to many cases of adults that have had this problem. And part of that's due to the fact I think that adults probably in the wild have to come out to hunt so they're not going to burrow themselves and be able to stay in their dens and find prey items down there. The other part is I think for the majority, if you get a seven-inch adult, most of us aren't keeping them in tanks that would allow for that much burrowing. So for example, if you got yours in a 10 gallon tank, you fill it with seven inches of substrate, you have a seven inch tarantula. That's not a lot of substrate depth per size of tarantula. So I don't think they can get lost. Now, if you had, I don't know, a 20 gallon with say a foot of dirt in it, maybe it would be an issue. I don't know. I haven't kept them in anything like that, but it just doesn't seem to be as big of an issue with adults. So I would not be worrying about this Honestly, at all, I haven't ever had an issue with any of my adults burying themselves and not coming back up, but feel free to chime in if you've had a situation that you think might might resemble this. It seems to be, obviously, those smaller specimens, which, again, they are likely able to find some prey items out in the wild when they're in their burrows. Whatever it may be, it seems to be the smaller specimens you have to worry about. So. That's something you should be thinking about as you're setting your spiders up. Do not give the little slings a super amount of depth of substrate. I don't. I know there's people out there that'll go give them all they need. They'll find their way. They didn't survive a million years not knowing how to dig themselves out. No, they've survived millions of years because they recognize in, if they're in the wild that they're going to be able to find food down there. They're not going to, in most cases, in most people's collections, they're not going to find those prey items to eat down there. So I would caution people that when you set up your fossorial slings or any slings that are going to burrow, don't overdo it with the substrate depth. Give them enough. And again, I know there's going to be people that are going to come and ask me for like, all right, well, I have a one inch sling. How many inches of substrate should I give it? Honestly, I can't give you an exact measurement. I It depends on the size of the enclosure, the surface area of the enclosure. A enclosure that has more surface area would have more spots for the spider to dig down into the bottom and possibly get lost. So I might give it a little less substrate. It's not, again, it's not scientific. Use, you know, use your best judgment. Look at the size of the sling. If I have a, a half inch sling and I got in a little dram vial, inch of substrate's gonna do wonders. It'll be great. If I have a three-quarter inch sling, you can put a little more in than that. It's it's kind of I eyeball it. I can't even I wouldn't even be able to go and tell you exactly what I use for depths. Just don't overdo it. So if I have a one centimeter sling, I don't want to put it in 10 centimeters of substrate, probably a little deep. Just something to keep in mind because then you don't have that situation where the thing's buried, it's not coming up to eat, it's been a few months, and you're freaking out because you're thinking, oh God, should I dig it up now? Again, 99% of the time, probably 99.5% of the time, this is not an issue. And I want to make that very clear because I know people are going to hear. And again, before I'm taking notes for this beforehand and I'm looking at it and I go, um, you always try to anticipate what people might hear as opposed to what you're saying. So for example, 
I'm saying that there's something you can prepare for ahead of time, make sure you don't give them enough dirt, and that it happens a very small percentage of the time. Somebody's just going to hear that this is a possibility, freak out, and assume that all their tarantulas that are in pre-molt need to be dug up. Not at all. Not what I'm saying. Just be aware that this can be an issue. Use your judgment for slings. Generally speaking, if you have a sling, they're not going to take six months to molt. So if it's been a long time and you haven't seen them and you're pretty sure they molted, you may want to check on Other than that, just leave them alone. Let them do their thing. And I have noticed that if this does happen, it's generally the first molt after it's been housed. So, for example, if I take a sling... I house it, it eats, it goes into pre-molt, it comes back up, opens its burrow, starts eating again, you're probably not going to have this issue. If it's a sling that you've just acquired, it ate some time, a, couple, a couple times, buried itself, doesn't come back up, that's usually where you're going to see it. So I wouldn't, if it's something that's been in its enclosure for a while, it's gone through a couple molt cycles, I don't think this is very common at all in those situations. This seems to be one where you put the sling in something where there's a little bit too much dirt, it gets a little bit lost and doesn't come back up to the top. So there's something to keep in mind. So do not immediately, after hearing this podcast, go dig up your spiders or your slings. But just keep this in mind because I think, and again, we don't deal in absolutes. And I think for years there was this rule, you never, 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 never dig up your spider. They know what they're doing. And I think, again... It's almost always correct, but then there's that one small percentage of the time where they might have gotten a little lost and you want to make sure that you're aware of that possibility so you can check on them. Worst case scenario, you dig it up, the spider's like, hey, what the heck, man, and you're able to let it fill itself back in. Because the thing is, if you do check on them, don't just dig them completely up. Don't dump the whole thing out and rehouse them. Very carefully use the back of either a pencil or a paintbrush to open up. I like to sometimes wet that area down because it allows you to pack the dirt out of the way. If it's dry up top, what'll happen is that dirt will kind of go down into the burrow. You don't want that. You want to kind of drag it out, open it out, put a dead prey in there, see if it eats. If it comes up to the surface eats you're fine if it comes up to the surface fills it back in you're fine just keep in the back of your mind that this is something that in a small percentage of instances can happen i don't ever want anybody in a situation where they think well it hasn't eaten in six months it molted three months ago this is totally fine because i'm not supposed to dig it up no there's there's a situation where you want to check on it and make sure the spider is okay and a final tip before we finish this one up for folks to keep the true fossorial species you know i'm thinking of uh C. lividus, any of the Kilobrachy species, the ones that are obligate burrowers, like they usually will burrow and stay burrowed. If you have one that suddenly starts hanging out on the surface, it's eating, it seems healthy. I've noticed that some of my fossorials, if the enclosure becomes a little too tight, a little too small for them, they seem to go out on the hunt for a better spot to create a burrow. And that might be a spot where you want to go and rehouse them. I've had that happen a couple times with Kilobrachy species where the thing's gotten a little tight. I had it originally happen with my C. lividus, is why I mentioned those two, where my C. lividus, it had definitely outgrown its enclosure. Its burrow was probably a little tight, and it came out wandering. And I put them in larger enclosures, gave them a starter burrow, and in those instances, they immediately buried themselves and created new burrows in there. So something to think about when you have a burrowing species that if they're out and about, it may be their way of telling you that the enclosure size is no longer adequate. So, plus, if they're out and about, I will tell you that's the easiest time in the world to couple that. One of the times I rehoused the C. lividus, 
it was out. I was able to drop a cup right on it and get it into a new enclosure without digging it up. So something to think about. The other thing that they will sometimes do is build the dirt turrets if they don't have enough depth. I've seen that from a few of mine where, for example, my Selena Cosmia Crassipes, I gave it about eh, maybe four and a half inches, five inches. It was about five inches of substrate, but it settled a bit. And what it did to compensate for it is built a huge dirt turret out of the top. So that's something you may see. Just keep in mind, if they do build the dirt turret, it kind of requires that you have some space above the substrate. So you need a deeper enclosure to permit it. So luckily with the S. Crassipes, I gave it an extra large critter keeper. So it had plenty of room to build that dirt turret up. But just something to think about. That is normal behavior. It's just them making you know, the depth that they need. In some instances, obviously, and we I've talked about this before with fossorials, if you don't give them enough room to dig, if they can't adequately burrow, they will supplement with webbing. That can be fine because they will web themselves up a nice little area, but keep in mind that if you don't give them a, an enclosure with a lot of depth, that's when you end up with the top of the enclosure being webbed up. And so when you pull the top of the enclosure off, it's like ripping the roof off of their house and it tends to obviously put them on the defensive and you're going to have a more defensive spider. So something to think about there. So fossorial species are amazing, except, you know, and for those of us that keep them, I think it comes down to people will go, I don't understand why you just want to stare at dirt. And the pro the thing is that you don't understand until you keep them is, yeah, you may be staring at the dirt 90% of the time, 99% of the time, but that 1% of the time you go in there and you catch the spider out, it makes it all worth it. And I've had other people agree with me on this. And I, get, and I totally get why people wouldn't want to keep them. I get that when you get an animal, you kind of want to see it when you want to see it. Like if I want to walk in there and see my C. lividus, I, I should be able to. I get why that would be frustrating. But I think for a lot of us to have larger collections that keep the fossorial species, we develop that patience where it's like, all right, you know, for example, my O. Velocipes, um, I've seen three times with with not counting rehousings, three rehousings. I think I've seen her three times total. But my gosh, it's thrilling when I actually catch her out and about. And I actually got like 20 seconds, seconds of footage of her. And so that for me is awesome. So I get why people wouldn't be into them. Now, as far as slings, I've had people go, well, I'll just pick ones up after they grow out of the burrowing stage because they don't want a spider that burrows. Guys, it's just part of the hobby. It's part of, I mean... If you get a sling, recognize that it's probably going, most species are going to do some burrowing, but just know that they outgrow it. I've shared the story before of the guy that picked up a Formictopus erratus, and he's like, I'm really disappointed with this one. I picked up a one-inch sling, and I never see it. It's always in its burrow. I, I want to dig it up and give it a shallow substrate so I can see it more. No, just go with it. They'll eventually outgrow it. A lot of them, once they hit the three or four-inch mark, a lot of species, Rocky Pelma, Fauna Pelma, uh, from ictopus that I mentioned before, some of the, the therophosa species, they outgrow that burrowing behavior. So it's it's a stage. It's a temporary stage. I know it can be stressful when they bury themselves and you don't see them, but do know they will outgrow it. And eventually you'll have a big, beautiful showcase spider that you can show all your friends. So that'll do it for this one. Hopefully there's some tips in there, some things that will help people out that are trying to keep either fossorial species or just regular spiders, slings, and juveniles that are in their burrowing stage to understand some things to look for when they're trying to figure out, are they in pre-molt or is there something wrong? I'll give you a hint. 99% of the time, there's nothing wrong. And just give some forethought when you're setting them up that you don't bury them in too much substrate because that can cause an issue down the road. So that'll do it for this one. As always, you can find me at tomsbigspiders.com. I'm on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. We are going to be visiting the new house today. I'll be taking measurements of the tarantula room to try to figure out what kind of shelving I'm going to put in it. 
very, very exciting because I honestly cannot wait to actually do all this stuff from that room. It's going to make everything so much easier. And again, we'll open up the ability for me to be able to actually interview people without having to stop a million times. So just for the record, for, for giggles, I was tallying how many times I had to stop the podcast because we had motorcycles going by. We had a plane go over. My neighbor's truck is very loud. The dogs are up and about. 15 times during this podcast. So we're at 42 minutes now. I've been at this for over an hour. So just, it's going to make things so much easier, so much less stressful for me. Plus, I can't wait to do a collection tour and be able to proudly show off a room where there's a lot of, you know, open space, where there's going to be lighting, where I can sit there and go, here is the tarantula. Here is its enclosure. Let's move on to the next one. That's been something I've wanted to do. Last time we did a collection tour of my room because I have a lot of things stacked up in bins and there's a lot of shelvings in there. We had to like do a little section at a time and kind of drag everything out. It's just going to be amazing. So very excited about that. Although it's uh, come the end of September, if I get a little quiet, I'll still continue to do the podcast. Don't worry about that. But I got a funny feeling it's going to eat into some of my Tom's Big Spiders time when we move everything over. So if I get a little quiet, then you'll know why. And then I'll actually get to, we did a while back, one of the topics was how to move a tarantula collection. I will get to actually tell you guys how I did it. Maybe we'll do a video of how it goes. Uh, Hopefully it goes well. We've got some ideas and we'll implement those when the time comes so that's it for this one as always guys crazy world out there stay safe and we'll catch you all next time